Welcome to Sports Talk with R and J. I'm your host, Steve Risser, along with my co-host, Justin D'Onofrio. And on Sunday, we're, Sunday were the last two episodes of The Last Dance. I mean, it, it, this was one of the best. I think this was the best 30 for 30 ESPN ever put out. I mean, it was it was outstanding. I mean, the ratings were off the, were through the roof, even though there was really nothing else going on. But still, even if there was stuff going on, this thing would have went through the roof. It was absolutely outstanding. It was just it was just a phenomenal documentary, just just recapping the nine, the ninety eight Bulls, and then really throughout Michael Jordan's career. And it just, I just enjoyed watching every minute of it. It was it was outstanding. The stories you heard, all the backstory, because because I'm, I'm a little bit younger. I mean, I was seven years old during that ninety eight season, so I didn't really know everything that happened during Jordan's career. So it was really great to learn all that stuff that happened during Jordan's career. And it, it was just, um, through, and, and that Bulls team, you know, through Jerry Krause and the, and the front office being dysfunctional, Phil Jackson becoming the head coach, his greatness. And then Scottie Pippen being the number two, being uh, Jordan's uh, uh, Robin to, to be in the Robin of Jordan's Batman. So I, it was just, it was really, really great to watch the, the last thing. I really just enjoyed pretty much every minute of it. What were your thoughts, Justin? Yeah, I think this was the best 30 for 30 years being ever put on. And yeah, even if sports were going on all this, it it was planned to have the start after the finals. So they the ratings definitely would have been phenomenal. Now you know in June as well when they were supposed to bring it out. But yeah, you did a great job on this. Um, this is probably yeah the best thirty for thirty I've watched. And yeah, and also I was born in '98, so clear I didn't. And I never you know, and I've seen Jordan and like videos and stuff. I've watched a couple of games from, you know, back in the day, but it, like to kind of just see it all kind of happen and, you know, get all the behind the scenes looks were, were great to see. Cause I, you know, I've never, you know, I haven't, and it just really proved that Michael Jordan of uh, is the goal and the number one all time player in history. And yeah, Absolutely. And, and the thing is, is I've seen a lot of this around, you know, now the him and the, throughout the whole documentary here, I've seen all the comparisons to LeBron James. I think it's a little sad that we have to, you know, kind of discredit LeBron's career to make sure I, I yes, I personally think Jordan is the greatest player in the history of the game. And I think Jordan and LeBron's number two, but to keep having these Jordan LeBron debates and not, and, and not enjoying LeBron's greatness, just because we saw a documentary on Michael Jordan is a little ridiculous. I mean, yes, I think Jordan's the goat, but we should not downplay LeBron's career. LeBron has had an outstanding career just because they've come out with this, with this, uh, at this documentary, we should not be downplaying LeBron's career. And yes, I agree. Jordan is the goat. There wasn't a better competitor, probably in my lifetime, a better competitor in sports than Michael Jordan. And you saw that throughout the documentary, you know, he raised his team game up even though he wasn't best friends with his teammates he raised his teammates game up and he did an outstanding job of it and he's a six-time champion because of it yeah yeah i don't get why we're having all these lebron jordan debates but you know i I guess it's i guess it's sports it always happens you know everybody needs to put somebody down to make somebody look look better um but yeah you know because lebron has a, a fabulous career you know yeah he's number two on my list as well and it's just, it's kind of sad to see, look, there'll probably be a LeBron documentary anyways after retire. So it's not, you know, he'll, LeBron will probably have his own 20 years down the line. Who knows? But, yeah, you know, I don't get it. You know, right now we should just kind of appreciate that we got it kind of, and we're able to see what Jordan was able to accomplish, you know, all these years in uh, Chicago. Absolutely. And now we'll get into the last two episodes. We'll, get, we'll start with episode nine. And 
the biggest part of episode nine, two things, the series with the Pacers in 98 and then the uh, series with the Jazz in 97. Let's first talk about the series with the Jazz in 97 and that 97 NBA Finals. Because we know the Bulls came off that 72-win season and, again, were favorites to win it all in 97. Had a great year. I finished 69-13. and 13, Had the best record in the NBA. And they cruised through the Eastern Conference playoffs. They swept the Bullets. They beat the Hawks in five and they beat the Heat in five. So they cruised through the Western Conference playoffs. And, but they got their big up. They got... They definitely were testing. They got to the finals, and that was against the Jazz. And you know that that was a that was a really, really, really that was a great series with those two teams. The Jazz were that team that, that with John Stockton and Carl Malone for years that were so close to getting the NBA Finals. They got to the conference. They got they, they, we were in the conference finals three times before they got to the NBA Finals. Got to the conference finals in '92, lost to the Blazers. Got to the conference finals in '94, lost to the Rockets. Got to the conference finals the previous year in '96, lost in seven games to the Sonics. So they were they were all always you know knocking on the door and then finally they get there john stockton is at three against the rockets gets them to the nba finals and then in game one great game he, he i think that was where jordan hit that shot at the buzzer to win the game that was i think jordan won the game at the buzzer the uh the bulls win game two then game three and four the jazz win and then we got the game everybody talks about and that's the flu game for michael jordan and that was epic. That was an epic performance, just a gutsy performance, an epic performance by Jordan to score th- with the flu, scoring 38 points, getting the Bulls that win. That was the game that decided that series. Because, you know, if the Bulls don't win that game, it's and they might still might be able to win that series, but you don't know. But that was the game that decided that series for the for, for the Bulls. You knew after the Bulls won that game, they were going to win that series. And then and then in, in game six, and then before that previous, you saw the story about Steve Kerr, the unfortunate story about how Steve Kerr lost his father and everything. And, and you saw you found you saw that un, unfortunate story and wow, how Steve Kerr was brought up. Because that was the big episode nine was a lot of a lot of it was about Steve Kerr and how he was a role player for that Bulls team. And ironically, he was the guy that hit the shot to win game six and give the Bulls their fifth championship. Yeah. Um... That ninety seven, um, that ninety seven finals, yeah. And um, I heard a, or actually, I want to start with this. I think now, because I, I knew what the outcome was, but the minute now back then, the minute if I, you know, if I was alive back in ninety seven, the minute that they gave Carl Malone the MVP award, and they had the ceremony right before Game One. Oh. Um, oh. That that's the worst thing the Jazz could have done. Oh, you knew oh. Jordan was going to absolutely go out there and get a win. And that and that and that was an MVP. That's like let's just give somebody the MVP. Kind of. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not saying Carl Malone was not an outstanding player, but he never was on Michael Jordan's level. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying Carl Malone wasn't outstanding and didn't deserve it, but that was kind of you know how it is nowadays where they could just give the award the MVP to LeBron every year. That's how it was with Jordan in those days. So they got to find someone they could, you know, give an MVP to. So they're not giving the MVP to Jordan every year. So they gave the MVP to Malone right before game one of the finals. And they should have done that during the conference finals because that set Jordan off. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I was surprised it wasn't a four-game or five-game or sweep. And then I saw something very interesting yesterday I heard about the flu game. The owner of that pizza restaurant was on an interview with uh, Salt Lake, uh, with some radio station, Salt Lake City. And he said that there was a couple – now, again, uh, that some of it was um, – there was a couple lies in it. He said he never had five people working for him at that time when they delivered the pizza. He said he followed all the protocols and all that. You know, he said the pizza was clean. It, you know, that, that was, you know, kind of his end of it that 
that it wasn't that wasn't food poisoning. It was not from him. But uh, well, who knows at this point? We'll never know what happened with that pizza. We'll never know what happened with that pizza. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's a coincidence though. He eats the whole pizza, then he ends up getting sick. There's a coincidence there. No, no, yeah, there definitely is. And um, the guy actually said too, he didn't name his kid after Michael Jordan too. So he's like, I, I never wanted to get Michael Jordan sick. Trust me. But um, yeah, to go out there in that flu game and be able to put up 40 points when you're not feeling well, and because uh, yeah, uh, especially because he couldn't even get out of bed and all day, he couldn't go to shoot around, couldn't do any of that. Um, that was unbelievable. The game one, you know, um. The game winner in game one, uh, that was a great shot he hit because that was the game. Uh, yeah, that was his game winner. They, you know, that was a pretty good series. Most of those games, most of the games are pretty close in that series, most of them. Um, but, yeah, I always felt like, you know, back then, 97, you definitely, I felt you, the Bulls would, would be able to win that series. And about the curse up, yeah, that's, you know, him and Jordan kind of had, I know they, I know they said they didn't talk ever about that experience, but they kind of shared a bond after that there what what happened with michael's dad they kind of shared that little bond of you know they kind of realized they they understood each other's pain of what like what would happen and we really found out a lot about steve kerr and you know um able to hit tough shots and you know and being able to learning how to play with michael jordan from um john paxton as his final paxton's final year kerr was kind of his backup um, that final year, and then you know the yeah the, you know fun a lot about Kerr and just more Jordan kind of being Michael Jordan we saw in the last it, two episodes. Exactly, exactly. And now we'll head to the uh, '98 Conference Finals when they played the Pacers. And Reggie Miller said right off the bat he thought the Pacers had the better team. He even thought after and you know how Reggie Miller is. Yeah. He even thought after they lost the Pacers were the better team. But that was a that was a great series. I mean. The Bulls took the first two in Chicago. Then the uh, Pacers won Game Three, and then the huge shot by Reggie Miller in Game Four. That was a that was that was a that was a great shot. And I love seeing Larry Bird's face. He wasn't even excited because he knew Michael Jordan was going to get that last shot, and he almost made that shot. So he wasn't even excited. I think I remember. I remember back. I think I remember that was on Memorial. I think that was on Memorial Day because I remember I was like seven years old. I think I was at a, like a barbecue, and I remember. That, that game happening. I remember hearing about, I didn't watch it, but I remember hearing about the game who, who won. Cause I, cause you know, I kind of, I was kind of as a Knicks fan, I kind of, I kind of was rooting for the Bulls to lose. So I wanted the Pacers to win. So I kind of was happy when Reggie Miller, even though it's tough to root for the Pacers and the Knicks fan too, but I was happy when Reggie Miller made that shot and, um, and, and, uh, and they tied the series. So that's what I remember. That's what I remember from that. And then they split the next two games and then game seven, which, was a great game seven. The, the, the uh, Pacers you saw went up by 12 in the first quarter. They were up by six in the fourth quarter, but then the Bulls ended up winning that game and uh, getting, to, getting to the NBA finals. That, that was a tough test. And here's something which was a little irritating. Michael Jordan says, oh, the Pacers gave us the toughest time th than anyone outside of the Pistons. I mean, come on now. Look at look at look at the look at the Knicks. I mean, in '93, if Charles Smith makes that layup, they probably beat they probably beat the Bulls in that series. And then '92, the Knicks took them to seven games. So, come on, you got to put the Knicks in that conversation with the, with the '98 Pacers and those Pistons teams as teams that that challenged the Bulls. You can't just discount what the Knicks the way the Knicks challenged the Bulls. I mean, come on now. I, I, that, that was something that was a little irritating there. That 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 uh, that Jordan kind of discounted the Knicks a little bit there. 
when that happened. But but that was a great series against the Pacers. They went on to the finals, and and they they, they will go on to play the Jazz to try to get their uh, sixth championship. Yeah, that '98 series um, was a good one. I think the Pacers may have had the better roster, but again, when you I guess when you have Michael Jordan on your side or on your team. You know he's superhuman. So yeah, that, that Pacers roster was deep. If you remember yeah. it, I mean, I mean, Jalen Rose, Mark Jackson, Rick Smith, Dale Davis, Chris Mullen, which was they didn't have the previous year. Chris Mullen, who was a great player with the uh, with the with the Warriors, he he got traded to the Pacers. Yes, he was out of his prime. But he got traded to the Pacers that year. So that was a really really yeah. deep deep Indiana Pacers team that year. Yeah. So you know, uh, they, you know, they definitely may have had the best team, but whenever you got Jordan and going against it, it's it's a really tough task. Um, yeah, the Larry Bird reaction was, uh, you know, pretty funny. And Reggie and uh, Jordan, too, I thought was, you know, they got into it a bit. Yeah, I remember Bright that. The Bright, I remember it. Oh, you uh, got Justin. Right, you know, right when it started, you know, right when they kind of started the episode, that was pretty much the first thing that they showed was Jordan, uh, Reggie going after it. Yeah, Reggie wasn't afraid of anyone. Reggie would take on anybody. I mean, that was the kind of player Reggie Miller was. I mean, you remember back in, you remember watching that 30 for 30 when, when he went, would go against the Knicks. I mean, he, he, Spike Lee was talking trash. He was going right back at him. That's the way Reggie Miller was. I mean, Reggie Miller was a great player and wasn't afraid of Michael Jordan. That was, a, that was an outstanding series that, that the Pacers gave the Bulls in that, in that Eastern Conference final. Yeah, it was, and I believe too that was like the uh, Jordan's first game seven, right? Um, no, second, second, yeah, second, second game seven because in '92 he went to game seven against the Knicks. Well, he fails to mention that the Knicks, you know, were a challenge, but his first, his, his second, only he had two game sevens, and one of them was against the Knicks. And he also had the Charles Smith game too, which if he loses that, just like I said earlier, if he loses that game, he probably lose that series as well. Yeah, so yeah, I know. I was actually a little bit surprised. I don't know, maybe he's just. He actually, he's got bad blow at the pay. I don't know why. Maybe he just shrugged off the Knicks there. Um, but that you know, it, it was another, and it's was a good one too, just because it was uh, or it was division rivals. Um, you know, some of the best players, and then I even forgot that Larry Bird actually did coach the Pacers. Now that he did for three, he did for three years. Yeah, I forgot. And then now he's I, he was an executive there too. Yeah, because he grew up in Indiana. He played yeah. for Indiana State. So you yeah. figure that you know uh, be a team. But yeah, that was a good, great um, conference finals they had. And you kind of thought too, maybe going into game or going into the NBA finals, you know, maybe a little wear, you know, wear and tear going having to play seven game series. But um, with Jordan, they you know they look fine. Oh, 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 yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then we get to the part where the last episode, and that's the part where they play the Jazz in the NBA Finals, and that's the rematch of the NBA Finals between the uh, between the Jazz and the uh, between the Jazz and the Bulls, and that was the that, that was a really good series as well. As as the Jazz won the first game in overtime, Bulls win the second. Bulls crushed the Jazz in Game Three, like that ninety six to fifty four game. Then it was a good game in Game Four. Game Five, the Jazz win, and then we all remember Game Six. I mean, Jazz were up by three late in the game. The bull score, and then Jordan gets the steal, hits the, hits the step back against Brian Russell, hits the shot. Bulls win their sixth championship. So that, that was another great series against the Jazz. And Michael Jordan again came through. And remember in that game, Scottie Pippen hurt his back and wasn't much of a factor. Jordan went for 45 in that game. 45 of his team's 87 points. So he outscored his team in that game to win their sixth championship. Yeah, you know, he took it over. And, you know, I don't – Jordan wanted Scotty to stay in there, but you, you kind of look at Scotty as – you know, he said that for a dunk that he had, um, the 
back just tie, um, tightened up on him. He really couldn't even move anymore. But, yeah, that was a great series besides game three, which I thought was really impressive that the Bulls held the Jazz to 54 points in 48 minutes. Like, that is very – that's impressive. That's – I don't know. Most teams now are scoring 55 points at halftime. I know, 54 for an entire game. Yeah, that that's crazy. That, that's crazy to do. But yeah, all five of those games, or five of those six games are five points or less. You know, that's such a great series. Um, and Jazz weren't able to do it. And in a uh, game clinching, or in a series clinching, you got, you know, you figure Michael Jordan's going to go off. And what he did was, you know, 45 points and just took it over. Um, about Scotty, and it, you know, it was a, it was a present. He just took the game over once again. You know, I guess it's something new that we ever saw from Jordan. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it, it was great. It was great to get their sixth championship, and then we go to the end of the at the end of the documentary, the last episode. We go to the end where it's the end of the season, and Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, wants Phil Jackson back. But Jerry Krause wants no part of it. And then the team ends up breaking up. Michael Jordan retires. Scottie Pippen gets traded to the Rockets. Steve Kerr gets traded to the Spurs. Everybody, pretty, Dennis Rodman, it's released and then ends up going to the Lakers. So everybody, the team pretty much breaks up. And, and then, uh, and, but, but the thing was with the Jordan was that to, to, get a, to get a sixth ring, to get a seventh ring, I mean, they, were, they didn't even try. Because that, that's the thing Jordan has said. He said in the documentary, I really can't accept the fact that they didn't even try to get a seventh ring. And even if they came back that year, I think with Pippen, with Jordan and Pippen and Rodman and with Phil Jackson back, I think that, I think the next, I mean, I mean, the Bulls could have won another championship. Cause you look at the NBA in 99, uh, especially the Eastern conference, the Knicks were the eight. Uh, yes. They were the Knicks really an eight seed in that lockout season. No, but they were, they were the eight seed. Uh, Ewing got hurt in the conference finals and they still got to the NBA finals. They beat the Pacers in those, uh, in those, uh, in the, in the conference finals, I would know because I was at the uh, Larry Johnson three, uh, four point, four point play game that year. But yeah, they, as the eight seed, they beat the Pacers in the conference finals. So do you really think the Bulls with Michael Jordan and Pippen and Phil Jackson and Dennis Robin probably beat the Pacers again because the Pacers weren't as good in 99 as they were in 98? So I think the Bulls would have gotten back to the NBA finals. And I honestly think they probably would have won beat, beating the Spurs that year because they wouldn't, Will Purdue and Steve Kerr wouldn't have went to the Spurs. They probably would have stayed with the Bulls. So if that team didn't break up, I think they, they win, they win another championship in 99. And, and if Jordan doesn't go play baseball, there's, you can make an argument. The Bulls might win nine consecutive championships, but I think the biggest, the problem was Jerry Krause should be the person that gets blamed the most because he broke this entire thing up. He broke up a great thing, and he should definitely be the guy that gets that gets that gets the most blame for this. And we'll get to it in our winners and losers. But but going back to my point, I think the Bulls would have won that championship in '99 '99 if they would have stuck together. Oh yeah, I definitely think they had a great shot to win another one. And it was actually interesting when right towards the end too, where Ryan um, Ronstein or Ronstein were in Dorf. You know, kind of said I. He took the blame for it. He took the blame, saying, "No, it was kind of me that broke up the team. I didn't want it," which I kind of felt was interesting. And I, Mike, Michael didn't really believe that that's what happened. Yeah, it's interesting that they did break it up. I know the guys are getting older, but you saw Jordan. I know Pippen was so was getting kind of out of his prime, but I think that teams are definitely a team that they definitely could have had another shot. And yeah, if they did go play. If Jordan ever did go and play baseball. They did, They definitely had a shot to win nine straight. Again, the chances of that happening, though, you know, would have been really slim. But yeah, that opportunity would have been there. Um, and yeah, Kraus. Um, 
he should you know he definitely does deserve the most blame in this for kind of um the way that it ended but it kind of seemed like um it was very um you know, and, and the Bulls, too, actually, since that point, they really – they've had a couple of good years. You know, they may have won one if Derrick Rose never really got hurt. They've never been the same. Yeah, yeah. they had that one year in 2011 where they got to the conference finals when Derrick Rose was the MVP, but they've never been the same since since they broke up the team. And even before Jordan, they they weren't ever good. So oh, they were, they were awful before Jordan. Jordan's kind of built that whole Bulls brand, and they have not been much without Michael Jordan. And to this day, they're still really not. They're still, no. They're in another rebuild this point yeah at this point yeah because they got they traded jimmy butler a couple of years ago so yeah they're they're definitely in another rebuild so yeah so the, the, yeah they just haven't been the same since since uh since jordan left so we're going to uh get uh go to our winners and losers of the last dance and obviously the number one winner is michael jordan i mean obviously the way they went through his career you know all, all the moments in his career you know all, all the, the, the 63 point game against boston him you know being the reason the team got over the hump against against the Pistons, uh, you know, even they show him, you know, playing baseball. Even gave him thought. Even people thought he would get to the major leagues in baseball. Uh, and uh, if, if, he, if they didn't go on strike in '95, him coming back, being the leader of that team, being being the the, the, the great competitor that he is. So definitely, the, the the my number one winner is Michael Jordan. Definitely, oh yeah, definitely Michael Jordan. Um, you know, don't. Um, no really competition. Uh, you know, there's a couple of them, but Michael Jordan's like the mo- most obvious one. Um, his competitiveness, we'll never see something like that. Um, his drive to get his teammates and his, you know, to get his teammates to have to step, um, you know, to be able to drill his kind of teammates like that and, um, and going to a second sport too and having a chance to make it to the professional league for sending out baseball for uh, 15 years. Um, it's just pretty outstanding the way that he wanted to win a game. He was going to take it over. He, nobody was going to stop him. My second winner is Phil Jackson. And, and this goes, I think, all the way back and I think the, to when th- they went back in the documentary to the 94 season. And really, instead of giving Scotty Pippen credit for that season, they gave a, they gave a ton of credit to Phil Jackson and the way he, it, it, they, they ran their triangle offense that year and the way they ran it to perfection pretty much for most of that season. And that, that's, that's another reason why he's one of my winners. And Another reason why he's one of my winners is some of the biggest plays Michael Jordan made in the 91 finals, getting the ball to, to John Paxton in the 93 finals, getting the ball to John Paxton and in the 97 finals, getting the ball to Steve Kerr was all resulting on Phil Jackson's triangle offense. So that's why I think Phil Jackson becomes one of the biggest win is definitely with Michael Jordan. One of the winners in the last dance. Yeah, definitely. Um, Phil Jackson's as well on my number two. And also he won six rings in seven and a half years when he coached Jordan too. So, um, he had a ton of success and he was really the one that kind of get to, to tell, or he was the one that kind of showed Jordan how to trust your teammates, how to get your teammates involved in the game. And that really also kind of elevated Michael's career. Cause he didn't, again, at times he did do it by himself, but it wasn't all the time anymore. And he could trust his teammates and he learned all that um, from Phil. And that's why Phil is one of the best coaches been in the NBA. Yeah. And you saw that, you know, when, when Doug Collins was there previously, it was kind of catered towards Michael. It was Michael putting up 35, averaging 35 a game. It, but the problem was the Bulls weren't winning championships. They were getting, they were making playoff runs. They weren't winning championships. When Phil Jackson got there, Phil got Michael to get, which is crazy. You could get a player like Michael Jordan, the best player in the world to give up the ball, 
to realize your teammates can help you. He did. And Phil Jackson, yes, for as much as you want to say, you want to say about his career, he had Kobe and Jordan. He's still got teams to play together. And there's the reason he's, he is the greatest coach of all time with 11 championships. Yep. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, we won't get to him as an executive though. He's an absolutely pathetic executive. I know as a Knicks fan, he's not an executive, but he's the greatest coach of all time. Oh yeah. So now we're going to go to our losers of the last dance and we'll transition into what we, we talked about Phil Jackson, but then we'll talk about one of the losers of the last dance. And one of the biggest losers was Scotty Pippen, I think, because I think in this documentary, they showed a lot of uh, Scotty, a lot of Scotty Pippen's really bad moments in this documentary. It started with the migraine game in game seven of the finals against the Pistons in 1990, where he had, they really highlighted the migraine game too. As like if Scottie Pippen was 100%, the Bulls would have won that game, which I don't think that was the case because you saw previously, you saw the next year, the Bulls had a weight train to get ready to play the Pistons. So they, they kind of made a big deal where if Pippen didn't have that migraine, that the, that the, uh, that the Bulls would have won that series against, against, the, uh, against the Pistons. And then you go to the moment in the 94 season when they're in the playoffs against the Knicks. They're down two games to none. With a, um, uh, with a with 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 one with one second left, and Pippen refused to go into the game, and they really really highlighted that yeah. part of that series where he refused to go into the game, and then made the shot, and then but then he, he refused to go into the game. Kukoc makes the shot, makes it two one. But here's something they didn't talk about, and I brought this up last week. They didn't talk about in that in that uh in that in the documentary at all. The Hugh Holland's call in Game Five of the of the. Uh, of of that series which if he doesn't make that call the bulls win that game and probably win that series they don't talk about that where but because they were because the bulls recovered from the scotty pippen from what happened with scotty pippen they won game they won game four the game four of that series and even that series and they didn't talk about the hugh hollands call which would have given the bulls a three in that series and they probably end up winning that series so that's where that's where i think pippen is definitely a loser of the documentary because they didn't realize how important of a player Pippen was that season. He averaged 22 a game. He was in the MVP conversation. He was one of the top players in the league that year. And they, they really didn't discuss it that much. They discussed Phil Jackson's triangle offense. They moved past the Hugh Holland's call. They made a bigger deal than th- about him sitting on the bench in a game that the Bulls ended up winning than it really should have been. So that's why I definitely think Pippen's a, a, a loser in this documentary. And also going back, going to 98 now, those we do go into the season where he he sat at the, at the beginning of the season and went at it with Jerry Krause on the bus and then going because of his contract because he was getting paid anything he was getting paid like three million a year when Jordan three million a year when Jordan was getting paid like 35 million a year and then when they get into the playoffs he misses against the Pacers in that game four when the when the uh Bulls have that uh have that one point lead against the Pacers he they show him they conveniently showed him missing those two free throws and then the Pacers winning that game. And then even in the finals, they showed him, they talked about his back injury and, and, and showed how he was a non-factor in that game. So Scotty Pippen to me was definitely one of the biggest losers in this documentary. Yeah, I definitely thought about him for this spot, but um, I, I have Kraus and again, um, I'd have, oh, I have Kraus yeah. too. And uh, moving yeah, I forward, have, I do have him. Yeah. I do have Kraus in this spot at number one um, because he, you know, He's kind of he was the one that ended up um, kind of breaking down or um, can't kind of breaking up the team and all that and you know had during retirement um, and 
for some reason too, I never know why Krause, Krause always loved every player that was not in the Bulls organization. I don't know why that was, but, um, and that just made Michael and Scotty more upset at him. Um, as we kind of saw in during what the, um, I think it was episode five and six, one of those two, we kind of saw, um, the Duke, uh, but, and then also with Krause too, you know, him and Jordan, you know, never got along. Again, you can always see the players always made fun of him. Oh um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that moment. Yeah, that moment in '86 when Jordan played and needed mom to play. I think that started the tension between that with Jordan in the front office. Yeah, it was because um, I think the the quote was like um, Jordan thought he said, you know, I own you now. Kraus says he does. He denies saying that. And that's kind of where the relationship just fell off dramatically. And he never really had the respect. You know, he really didn't have any respect from any of the players. They didn't really care about him. They didn't really, they no, no one seemed to like him. Um, and, you know, for having one of the greatest dynasties of all time, uh, you know, nobody really gives him any credit and he doesn't really deserve credit. Um, that's kind of why I've crossed the number my biggest loser of the dance. I'm going to go through my, my two other losers and I'm going to wait to, to talk about Jerry Krause last. The other one we talk about is Horace Grant. And as you saw recently on ESPN, he did an interview yesterday on ESPN Chicago with cap and company and talking about how the stuff in the last dance was untrue, how he leaked things out to, uh, to Sam Smith, the, uh, the, uh, the author of the book, the Jordan rules. And a lot of the stuff that was said there that was said that Jordan said that was said about uh, Horace Grant was untrue. And, and he said a lot of the stuff was not true that Michael Jordan said about him. He was not happy with Michael Jordan. He was very upset about it. And it did make Horace Grant look bad. It made him look like kind of a snitch in the locker room, bringing up the locker room drama. But he didn't think that the stuff that Jordan said in the last dance, he didn't think a lot of that stuff ended up being true. So that's why Horace Grant is, is definitely one of my losers. And also, obviously, the ultimate loser in the last dance is Jerry Krause because he, he destroyed the team. He completely destroyed this team. As we all remember, and let's be honest, here's another thing we got to remember. He did not draft Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan was handed to Jerry Krause, handed to him. So he gets Jordan handed to him. Yes, he drafted Pippen, he hired Phil, but the fact, the way this team was broken up, not even giving Phil a chance to coach in 99, that resulted in Jordan retiring, uh, Scotty getting traded, uh, Rodman getting released. Kerr getting traded as well. And they, they, they really didn't try to try to win in 99. They started to rebuild and, and he was com- cross completely confident. He was going to, he was going to get Tim Duncan, Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill to come there in, uh, in, in, in the off season in 2000. And they were smart enough to say, absolutely not. You were not the reason that the bulls won championships, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman, they were the reason that the Bulls won championships. And then he completely destroyed the franchise and turned what was one of the greatest teams in sports history into a complete laughing stock in the last five years of him being the general manager. And, and, and that's exactly why, to me, he's my biggest loser. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. Um, I crossed my number one. I kind of, I flipped him. I had crossed my number one loser to was, um, or now my number two. I also have Horace Grant. Cause yeah. Um, that you know, if he did leak the information, that's you know, I know he had the interview. I just you know, as a teammate, that's just that's pretty bad. That's kind of you seeped as low as low. Nobody's got respect for you anymore. I you know, if it's true or not, you know, I, we don't know at the, right now. But it's 
kind of a sad thing for Horace Grant and, you know, what he did. So I have him as my second loser. And then my last one, I, this one's kind of out, out there a little, you know, is on um, Patrick Ewing a little bit. And I think because he considered yeah. it, that he never was able to beat Michael Jordan in a big game. And I think it does tarnish maybe he was a great NBA player, but I think it kind of tarnishes his um career a little bit because he could never beat Michael Jordan. He could never kind of get over that hump. He could beat him in the regular season and all that, but he never got him in the playoffs. I think yeah, four yeah, four times the um Bulls eliminated the Knicks. So five, five, five. Five, five, five. They were wrong on ESPN. It was five. 89, 91, 93, 89, 91, 92. 93 and 96, five times. They were wrong. That's another thing they were wrong about with the Knicks. Not being, not being, Michael Jordan was wrong about them not being, not being great contenders, which they were one of the best, it was the best competition they probably faced in their, in their, in, in the 90s. And, and they beat, but Jordan beat the Knicks five times, not four. Oh, okay, five, my bad. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, so I think, um, Kind of, you know, because tar- his legacy's kind of tarnished a little bit for that, and he even admits it. Um, and I think that's kind of why, you know, he's kind of on there. He's my number three. Um, and then you can even go back to college days when Jordan hit the game-winning shot against Georgetown. He, um, he was on that team. Yes, you can say that. You can say that. But as a junior, Jordan won the championship. No, I mean, Ewing won a championship. So. You did win a championship as it is junior. So, so yeah, but you, as you as a college basketball guy, you like to bring that up when Jordan beat him in 82, when they both were both were freshmen, when they, when they beat him in 82 in the national championship game. But yeah, I I remember listening to Ewing says, I can't watch it. I lived it. It was so rough because so many years, I mean, Mm. almost every year they, they played in the playoffs in the, in the, in the early to mid nineties, they played in the playoffs every year and outside of 94 in the year, Jordan didn't play the bulls won every year. So it was a really painful moment for Patrick Ewing. I mean, he, Jordan was in the way of many of Ewing's championship runs with the Knicks. Oh yeah, they were. And you know, that's why I kind of put him number three. Again, I, there was a couple, I thought about Pippen. Um, I, but um, you know, I thought Ewing maybe a little bit more because there's some parts where they gave kind of Pippen some credit. There wasn't much, but there was some, you know, if he was like the high, the sixth highest player in that Bulls team, even you know. So I thought maybe I'll go Ewing. You know. Listen, they did not give Pippen the credit he deserved. I, I don't know. He probably might not even be a top 50 player. He was a great Robin to Jordan's Batman. I mean, he, they did not give Pippen the credit he, he deserved. I mean, he, he was a, he was one of the top players in the league in those years. And they, in this documentary, they made Scotty Pippen look like the bad guy so many times, so many times in this documentary. Yeah. They, you know, they did yeah, most of them. Yeah. You know, um, with the back and then with nine, uh, 94 when he, you know, took himself out. I know he apologized saying he wouldn't do it again. But. And they won game four and should have won game five. That's what they, they don't bring up in this. Do- they don't bring up in this thing that the Bulls should have won game five of that series against the Knicks. They don't, they don't bring that up because they want to make Michael Jordan look like the GOAT, which he is. But that's why they don't bring up game five of that series, which is one of the most crucial moments, and I don't say one of the most crucial, but in a crucial moment in the history of the '90s Bulls, they don't bring up Game Five that Hugh Holland's call. I still don't get that. Yeah, it's you know, it's for Jordan to make Jordan probably, you know. It's, it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For Jordan, you know, make Jordan look better than you know. Yeah. One that gives Pippen too much credit. They can't get no. on that. You know, no, they no, did no. give Phil a lot of credit, but you know, those are my three biggest lo- three losers from the last dance.
Yeah, I mean, it's just and, and to wrap it up, it was a great documentary. The ratings were off were off the charts, and 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 just was just so much inside information. Yeah, it's people a little bit older than us probably knew everything, most stuff that went on with this team, but. To learn all the stuff you learned in the last, you know, the last month about the, the 90th, about this this Bulls team and the Michael Jordan era, it was just a great documentary, A-plus job by ESPN putting us together. Oh, yeah. And thank you, ESPN, for uh, moving it up to, you know. Yeah, with nothing going on. You know, for the Sunday night. Yeah, with nothing going on. Absolutely. It, it, it was great. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the NFL. And they've been discussing uh, my, the lack of minorities being hired by, by NFL teams. And right now, it's kind of sad. I mean, there's only three African-American head coaches, Ron Rivera of the Redskins, Anthony Lynn of the Chargers, and Mike Tomlin of the Steelers. Mike Tomlin obviously has been there for a long time with the Steelers. And there's only two uh, African-American GMs. Uh, and one's a new first-year GM, Andrew Barry with the Browns and Chris Greer with the Dolphins. So there really is just a lack of diversity in terms of hiring uh, hiring head coaches and GMs. And I think it's kind of sad. I mean, I think there needs to be more, and me are African-American head coaches, there needs to be more African-American general managers. I, there just needs to be, there, I think there just needs to be more diversity around the game, especially with the, all the African-Americans players that are in the NFL. I think you need more diversity in this game at the, at the top levels. At the heck, yes, there's a lot of them are assistant, there's a lot of assistant coaches that are African-American a lot a lot of yes, assistants and coordinators, but I think you need more at the head coaching levels. Like Eric B It's, it's crazy that Eric B doesn't have a job. He's done a great job as the chief's offensive coordinator the last two years. And he doesn't have a job in this league. It's I mean, I'm not going to, you know, you know, diss my own team. I, I like the Joe judge hire, but Joe judge was a special teams coach and he gets a job, but Eric B has been an offensive coordinator the last two years, one of the best offenses of football. And he doesn't get a job. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that that you know he hasn't gotten a job yet so i think we definitely need to see more in my opinion see more african-american head coaches and african-american general managers in the nfl and now and and yesterday they came up with a couple rules they they up they 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 changed uh part of the rooney rule yesterday and one of them is teams are required to interview two minority two extra external minority candidates for head coaching jobs so that's that's now a requirement you got to hire two minorities if you have an open head coaching job you got to hire two minorities for those jobs to, to to fill those jobs and also you have to uh teams will have to or required to uh, interview one external minority candidate for a GM or a or a uh, office or a coordinator position too, so you got to you got to hire an external. External means it can't be in your organization. Not like when the Giants, after Ernie, of course, you retired, they hired Jerry Reese as their uh, general manager. That external means you need to hire. You need it needs to be outside the organization. It has to be a minority. You got to give the, that 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 person a chance to get that job. Yeah. Um. So actually, so I, so I think there's actually four uh, minorities. I because I don't think you said Anthony Lynn, right? I said Anthony Lynn, yeah. Anthony Lynn, Ron Rivera, Mike Tomlin. And then, okay, I thought there was four. I had four, and then uh, Brian Flores. Oh, Brian Flores, my, my bad. Four four head coaches. My bad, my yeah. bad, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, and then I, I know in the past two off-seasons as well, um, or in two years ago, one of eight um, head coaching openings went to a minority, and that was Brian Flores. And then this year, one of five, and that went to Ron Rivera, who's already kind of head coach, but got fired at Carolina. So, you know, this puts pressure now, I feel like, on the owners that have to do this and have, you know, again, because I don't, you know, I don't know if the owners actually, it puts kind of pressure on them to actually say, all right, we got to 
be able to put my m more diversity into this, which they probably, you know, they should. And like a guy like Air, um, you know, I mean, I can't say it, it's surprising this guy to have a job to be, you know. And I know when you got a guy like Patrick Mahomes, it's you know, it, it doesn't take a genius. that could be that could be part of the reason. Yes, I get yeah. that. It doesn't take a genius, but he definitely, and you have Andy Reid too, so I get that too. Yeah, definitely. But to be able what he's done the last two years of that offense still is pretty remarkable. Um, the points that they've been able to put up and to not have a job is kind of, you know, it's um, disappointing, I guess, you know, not to see this guy get a chance. Um, but, you know, it, it's, definitely, it's definitely something that they should do. And the draft picks seems were a little interesting where you could get, um, you move up six to ten spots. So they're really trying to help to make it, put the pressure on the owners to have to make these decisions. Um, so I think I think it's good because yeah, there's a lot of minorities that are in the NFL, and you you don't really see it in the in the front offices at all. So I think it's a good idea for the NFL, and again, it's something that they're trying. You know, they're trying to be ahead of the game, and you know, in sports, you know, once again. Absolutely, and and they did not they did not they did not we weren't able to make teams get compensation for hiring more minority candidates. They weren't able, they weren't able to do that. The league was able to end up doing that, which I would have liked them to do. I, that would have been really good if the league would have been able to hire more minority candidates. Cause look at the way these, you know, African-American coaches have, have been, I mean, Ron, Ron Rivera. I mean, he did a really good job in Carolina. Uh, obviously Mike Tomlin's done a great job in Pittsburgh. Uh, Anthony Lynn had two winning seasons his first two years with the Chargers. But last year, the quarterback wasn't any good. They ended up going 5-11. and 11, But two out of his three years were winning seasons with the Chargers. And then Brian Flores, a team that was expected to be absolutely terrible, ended up going 5-11 and 11 and upset and upset the Patriots the last week of the season. So these my, these, these, these African-American coaches have done, have done a really good job. And we all remember the Super Bowl 41 back in 2006, Lovey Smith against Tony Dungy. And those were – I mean, Tony Dungy was a Hall of Fame head, a Hall of Fame co head coach. With the with the uh, with the uh, Bucks and 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 the Colts and uh, t and Lovey Smith did a did a really good job in Chicago. Bears haven't really been the same since Lovey Smith has left. So I think these African so a lot of these African American head coaches should be getting chances in this league. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And you know, because yeah, all four of them. You know, people thought Mike Tomlin would be five. They have Mike the Mike Tomlin to have that team go eight and eight last year with no quarterback. It's pretty remarkable. Five wins with that Dolphins team last year is pretty remarkable. Lynn's had a good track record in LA, and last year didn't go his way. He's probably then and then right now going to next year, he's probably one of the hot, you know he could very well be in the hot seat right now going into next year. And then Ron Rivera, who's been to the Super Bowl, um, you know, got a tough job ahead of him in Washington, but he's probably the right guy to try to get that organization on the right track. So yeah, they um, all four of these guys in minorities have you know been good have had a good track record um so far the first you know as, as you know they've been so good so far and where did ron rivera who did ron rivera, who did ron rivera learn from to be head coach he was the defensive wow. coordinator for the chicago bears a bears team that got to the super bowl in 2006 so ron rivera learned from an african-american head coach and lovey smith so i mean it makes it definitely makes sense to 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 give these guys a chance and 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 to to give these guys a chance in the league because they've really done a really good job in this league. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, and you know, it's again, it's a good thing by the NFL that to, to want to put this in and just um, 
evolve the game a little bit, you know, involve it, you know, because, um, you know, it, it's the right thing to do. And most of these guys do deserve a chance to be a coach or GM. Absolutely. I mean, we only have four head coaches, two GMs right now. We need more in this league. We need, we need more. I mean, four out of 32 is not enough. Two out of 32 is not enough. There needs to be more in this league. There needs to be more in this league. It's, and, and, and right now there's no African-American owners too. I think this league needs, yes, there's a lot of diversity. The players, there's a ton of diversity. We need diversity in the, the higher level positions. Uh, GMs, head coaches, owners, we need to, the NFL needs diversity there. Yeah, they do. And, you know, yeah, because every owner, yeah, is, uh, you know, it's kind of is white. It's, as far as I, you know, as far as I know, every owner is white. So, yeah, you definitely do. And I know that's most sports. That's not even NFL. That's most sports have more, pretty much all white owners, you know, as far as I know. So, yeah, you know, you're definitely right. Um, we definitely do need more diversity around the NFL and the front offices. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap up the show with me being a Giants fan. They had just before we got off the air, actually on a, on Thursday on Thursday, uh, DeAndre Baker was arrested on armed robbery charges. Quentin Dunbar was arrested as well. Quentin Dunbar of the Seattle Seahawks, DeAndre Baker of the New York Giants, and just a very especially with DeAndre Baker, just a sad story. And and and, and right now he was arrested on Thursday. Uh, he 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 got out on bail uh, last weekend, and he. Pleaded, he pleaded not guilty yesterday. So we don't know what's going to happen yet. That's, I think, a big reason why Dave Gettleman hasn't gotten rid of him yet. I mean, so we don't know if he's, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. The legal proceeding has to happen. But for seeing what's alleged to be happening, for somebody who uh, is, is making 10, who's, who's on a four year, $10.5 million deal with the Giants, I just don't get what, why he would do what he did. I mean, it just, it just makes no sense to me. Uh, why? Why he did what he did? I mean, the guys, a, guys, a, a player. He did have, did have a rough rookie year, but he did have upside. He was a first round pick. The Giants traded into the first round to get him. So, so yes. And I see Joe's graphic. The lawyer said he was playing Madden when all the hell broke loose. We'll see how that ends up going in court. We'll see how that ends up. But if this ends up being true, it's going to be a really sad story and a complete waste of talent and a total waste of a draft pick for the Giants. Yeah, and I remember coming when he came out of the draft. He probably watched him at Georgia a lot. Yeah, I saw him at Georgia, and I never, I didn't think, you know, I thought maybe late first, or I thought more probably second round he was going to go. But he did have off the field issues there. He did get into trouble at Georgia, and people warned Gettleman about this, saying, "Hey, this kid's trouble. You, you know, it's it's a little risky. You know, he he could be a little bit of a risk here if you do, you know take him." And um, it sounds like of what I heard too, it sounds like. It, they gambled him and Dunbar gambled us uh, and they lost $70,000 too. And they were trying to get someone back. I did read something though, that there's been five witnesses have come across and have signed papers saying that or have signed something. I don't know exactly what it was, but they said kind of um, that like they were with Baker and Dunbar at the time and they they're innocent. So I don't know what this is going to lead to. Um, you know, and, and you hope that they're innocent because, you know, for two guys, because if they get um, convicted of this, this is probably it in the NFL for those two. Oh, they're done. They're done. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is 1% of people get a chance like this and to throw it all away. Um, again, like, even for them, $70,000 is probably a little dent for them. Like, it's not, you know, for us, it's huge. But for them, they're making a million dollars a year. It's not the you know worst thing you know, um, 
Philly stinks to lose money, but you know, the game and hopefully they get help if it actually if they did gamble away seventy thousand dollars, hopefully they get help just, you know, so they don't throw away all their money. Um it's a sad thing and you know it, um you just hope, you know, they get help and hopefully, you know, things turn out okay for them because it's, you know, it, it's a waste. You, you get the shot to be in the NFL that so many people want to do but don't get the chance and throw it away like this. It's, it's sad to see. Yeah, I mean, the Giants right now, they've told – they haven't released them, but they have told Baker to avoid meetings, not not be around the team right now. And I think the biggest thing for the Giants right now is, is if I – Personally, I want the guy gone. I don't want this call. Joe Judge is trying to change a culture here. We're trying to change the culture. I know we traded it to get him in the first round last year. I want, I personally, I want this guy gone. I just don't think it's worth the risk at this point. But with Gettleman trading him to get this guy, I think they want to give it a chance. Uh, see what the legal what happens in the legal proceedings. And uh, and for the Giants, the big thing is, is if they end up uh, cutting him, that they'll be he'll oh it'll be five it'll be five million against their cap cap next year, which isn't ton but still for a rookie that's a lot of dead caps that's a lot of dead cap money and then two million against their uh, dead cap the year after so there's seven million combined in the next two seasons in dead cap money if the giants end up cutting them and uh but the different that's, and that's the difference between the giants and seattle because seattle the, the seattle traded dunbar for a fifth round pick from the redskins and he's going to be a free agent next year anyway so seattle gets rid of him they don't owe any dead money or anything. And all they gave up was a fifth round pick. So it's a much different situation for what happens for the giants or the Seahawks. The giants was a first round pick that they traded up for and they'd be, and they'd have to, and they'd have to eat dead money if, if they got rid of Baker, but the Seahawks could just pretty much get rid of Dunbar pretty much for nothing. And they, and they basically got him for nothing. They got him for a fifth round pick. So a much tougher situation for the giants than for the Seahawks. Yeah, it is. And I think before you caught him, I, you know, you got to let all the facts come in. You got to see all the facts. You got to, you know, again, because usually, you know, in the situation like this, the Giants would cut, got, you know, would cut Baker. But I think you got to wait till all these facts come in and we figure everything out. And then you can kind of make, you know, especially you lose $7 million a cap, he comes out innocent. I know, you know, he could have maybe done something, but um, I think you got to let all the facts kind of play out and then kind of go from there before you just kind of just go cut them loose really but um and you figured if it is uh, if he if you know he does get convicted of this giants will giants and uh ncr will cut dunbar and uh, baker oh they no, oh they need to there's, yeah, there's just no choice them. for the for them not to uh to not uh to not cut them i mean it, it's 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 crazy if they don't i mean it's 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 not they should they, they should end up uh cu- cutting baker and uh dunbar and i see one of the graphics joe put up julian love is now you know went back to corner because they're going to need now the giants are going to need corner depth because if you look you look at it now baker was going to be their number two corner it was going to be him james bradbury and maybe uh uh, Darnay Holmes could be the nickel corner, Corey Ballantyne, Grant Haley, all in the mix for that nickel corner spot. Now that uh, now that Baker's gone, Beal goes back to corner because and because they drafted McKinney to play safety. It'll be McKinney and Peppers back there at safety. Love who they drafted as a corner in the fourth round last year. Now we go. Not who played safe, free safety at the end of the year because Jabril Peppers got hurt, so he played safety in his spot. Now goes back to corner because the Giants need corners because they're preparing for pro- to probably have to release DeAndre Baker. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, yeah, they're gonna need some depth here, but um, yeah, hopefully everything works out for him. You know, hopefully for him and Dunbar, you know, they don't, you know, ho- you know, hopefully it works out. Hopefully, you know, it it works out okay. 
yeah, we for their sakes, we hope it works out, but we'll, we'll end up seeing what happens. We'll end up seeing what happens with both uh, Dunbar and Baker. So that's going to wrap it up this week on Sports Talk with R&J. For my co-host, uh, Justin Nafrio, I'm Steve Risser. We'll be back next week, uh, bringing you any sports news that comes up. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, everybody.